Welcome to the I Work For Him Power Pod. I'm Michael Miracle, producer for I Work For Him, the voice of the faith and work movement. We are on mission to transform the workplace of every Christian into a mission field. Each quick listening power pod is designed with you in mind and jam-packed with kingdom resources to help you connect your faith and work. How will this impact your workplace? Let's find out right now. So it's not very often that I get interview suggestions to the same person twice on the same day, but that happened about four weeks ago. Oz Hillman recommended that I talk with Roy Goble about his book, brand new book, Salvaged Leadership Lessons Pulled from the Junkyard. Well, that's any author recommendation from Oz Hillman is honor. As many of you listen to the show know that Oz Hillman was a very big key in my life, his devotionals, in just helping me understand how my faith and my work should be intricately connected. But then about an hour later, California time. I got a personal note from Mark Roberts. He's the executive director at the Max Dupree Center for Leadership at Fuller Seminary. Mark's been on the show before and he felt, he said, Jim, you ought to read this book. You ought to check this out. So I started hearing God's voice echoing in my head and I started to pay attention. Okay. You're going to love this conversation today, listeners, as we have Roy Goble on the line who actually wrote this book, salvaged leadership lessons pulled from the junkyard. And, but I also said, Hey, Mark Roberts, if you're going to make a suggestion and, and, and say that somebody should be on, I work for him. Well, then you got to join with him. So today we've got Mark Roberts. He's the executive director at the Max Dupree center for leadership there at Fuller seminary in California. And we got Roy Goble. He's written this great book, salvaged Roy and Mark. Welcome to I work for him. I just want to know, what's the greatest thing that you witnessed in the kingdom in your role as executive director at the Max Dupree Center for Leadership? What's the greatest thing you saw God do last year? That's a great question. You know, I, I'm not going to point to one particular thing, but it's, it's sort of the broader thing. I, I'm continually amazed at how many people I meet are super engaged with the idea that God actually cares about their daily work. I mean, I guess I could say in a negative sense, I'm sort of astounded at how many Christians have never really been exposed to that. But positively, uh, so many people, and I'm talking college students, uh, millennials just getting going in their professional life, or people more in my season of life, uh, moving into the third third of life, that there, there is such a great desire uh, among Christian people to live every piece of their life for the Lord. And so... I, I just see God opening up hearts to the very kind of thing that you, that you guys are doing. It's being received, it's needed, and God is, is moving uh, across the board, different, as I say, different ages, men and women, different racial ethnic groups, different socioeconomic groups. Uh, people are yearning to know that their work matters, and, and they, they're excited to know how much God cares about it. And I just see God doing an amazing work there. What was it about Roy Goebel's book, Salvaged, that said, this is a book that thousands should read? Mark Roberts, what was it about that you said, why, this is why he's on the air with us today? Yeah. Well, you, you know, there are a lot of leadership books out there. And, you know, I, I travel a bit, and, you know, in airport uh, bookstores. I got leadership books, leadership books, leadership books. And I sort of want to yawn and say, I can't believe there's another one. So, that salvaged as a leadership book didn't initially, you know, get my pulse going. But when I, I, there are two things. Number one, I know Roy, and I know that he's not the guy that's going to waste my time with stuff. So I, I was counting on that, that this would be valuable. Number two, when I got into the book, I said, you know, this is not 
your normal leadership book. There are great stories here. There are stories from uh, all different walks of life and especially from literally the junkyard. Uh, Roy grew up working in his father's junkyard. And so there's, there's a new perspective. There are great stories. It draws you in. And then there's a lot of biblical connection. I thought, okay, this is not like all those other books in the, in the bookstore. This is, this is a different kind of thing. This is going to speak to a lot of people. And I'm excited about this book. What we do with every guest, before we bring them on and talk about what they're going to talk about, we want to know, how did you become a Jesus follower? Oh, okay. You're throwing me a twist there right off. I love it. No, I didn't. Uh, I told you ahead of time I was going to tell you, ask you that question. Yeah, yeah. No, I, um, I was fortunate enough to be born into a family where both of my parents loved Christ. And uh, I, I used to joke that I think I came to Christ when I was in my mother's womb. Uh, it's hard for me to remember a time where I wasn't uh, attending church, wasn't following Jesus, wasn't reading Scripture. So I'd say, obviously, at a very young age, and I had the luxury of going to a church that was dynamic and interesting, where the people there took a real interest in me. Um, I had a father that loved me and always told me he loved me. So there was this model of Christ's love for me. And I had a mother who, oh my gosh, she knows scripture back and forth. And she's 94 today and suffers from dementia. I can take her to any church in the Bay Area, and there will be a woman come up and say, D. Goebel, I was in your Bible study. Boy, help us to understand, um, as you were growing, you know, how did you understand and realize that your faith and work would be connected? Mm, yeah, I had the opportunity to work with my dad growing up, and uh, it was a family business in the junkyard. My dad always had this deep commitment to the idea that we were a for-profit ministry. And by that he meant, look, we've got to turn a profit around here. This is a business. We've got to run this thing. But he saw his role as being much more than just a businessman. He was, he was trying to create jobs for people. He was trying to uh, help their kids get through college. Um, and he had this much broader, more holistic approach to business than, than I saw when I was studying business and being mentored by MBAs and, and having the support and encouragement of great business people, but very focused on business. Whereas my dad was very intentional about, I bring my faith to work every day. And he, he loved to say that he never really was successful until he began to do that. Um, so that was a, a core part of my upbringing and my experience with him. So having this idea, honor. I, I got to just interrupt you there. That is yeah. such an honor because there are thousands and thousands of people listening to the show today. They're going, man, I wish my dad had lived that out in front of me so that I would have what I would have known. I mean, if, if my dad wasn't a Jesus follower until later on in life, but if I had seen that, that would have saved me so many years of frustration. Yeah, I, I agree, and I, I don't take that for granted. I'm so thankful for it. It's one of the reasons I wrote the book, because the book has so many stories about my dad and, and how he lived his life, and I wanted to share that so people could see it. Well, let's jump to Chapter 9. You know, that's a great, I really love the lesson that you learned, Roy, in Chapter 9. What is, tell us what the story is a little bit, and tell us what, what is the danger of desiring popularity when you're a leader? Right. So the story in the background of the book is I was 17 years old. I was working at the wrecking yard, the junkyard, and I had befriended one of our customers who was probably about a decade older than me. 
And he just seemed completely cool because he had this import-export business and he was traveling to Asia all the time. Um, he came in one day and he asked for uh, credit so that he could buy a part for one of his vehicles. And I, uh, I gave it to him knowing full well it was completely against business policy, family policy, uh, junkyard policy. And unfortunately, I gave him the part. He signed a little thing saying he'd pay me in, you know, um, I don't remember what it was, a month or so. And we never saw him again. And um, the lesson my dad taught me was not that I'd made a bad business decision, even though I had, but that I had given this guy credit because I wanted to be liked. I wanted to be popular with him. I wanted him to keep coming in and talking to me and telling stories and making me part of his in-group. Um, and that's just a deadly way to manage people, to uh, make decisions, and to lead. So the story there, uh, it was a great lesson as I was driving home one day with my dad, and he just said, do you really understand why you did this? And um, it was a great conversation. So that's in the book there. Roy, to learn as a manager that popularity is, that's going to cause you serious trouble when you're in leadership and you're worried about popularity all the time. Well, it makes you want to be a politician is what it makes you. <laughs> all right. But, but was Jesus worried about popularity? I don't think so. Um, my reading of scripture shows that he did an awful lot, especially late in his ministry, to upset a lot of people. Uh, the story about the clearing of the temple, um, he didn't seem concerned in the least about upsetting a lot of people in that process. And in doing so, he made room for an opportunity to heal and an opportunity to bring in uh, the poor, bring in the people who were um, uh, neglected or overlooked. So I think he was much more concerned with doing what was right, being just, than he was with being popular. So how does that apply to us being leaders and managers and supervisors in, in our organizations or in our communities? How does, that, how does that all connect? Yeah, there's an opportunity for us to both be truthful but gentle, and that's the model Jesus gives us. I think we have to be truthful uh, but we, it doesn't mean we have to be harsh. It doesn't mean we have to be mean. It, you know, the, the clearing of the temple is sort of a high-end extreme <laughs> of going out of your way to be unpopular, it seems like. Uh, and none of us are going to be clearing a temple anytime soon. We'll leave that to the Son of God. But for, for us, we do have to speak truth into people's lives, right. and we have to do so with a sense of mercy and a sense of gentleness. <laughs> Now we're going back to Roy Goble, who wrote this book, Salvage. You can check him out online, junkyardwisdom.com, junkyardwisdom.com. Roy, right before the break, we're talking about your assault on Jim Collins' greatest concept in Good to Great called Getting the Right People on the Bus. But you're saying that there's a danger in always focusing on getting the right people on the bus. What was the junkyard story behind all of this? And then tell me, was Jesus worried about getting the right people on the bus? So the junkyard story is more of, uh, of how we would practice our business. Uh, we had to buy cars, and the cars would come in, and we would value them more for the parts than the whole. Most of them weren't running, or they weren't registered anymore, or they'd been in an accident, whatever. So we would quickly evaluate them and say, okay, the fender's worth this, the engine's worth that, the transmission's worth that, figure out what we needed to pay for it to make a profit. Um, the problem with that method is you do it so often and so quickly that you actually begin to look at people the same way. So you start to look at people and go, okay, how do I value this person? And you begin to value them more for the pieces than the whole. 
Um, so you say, hey, this person is good at this particular skill, uh, but they're terrible at this. Um, and that actually begins to create this sense of judgment that we have towards our coworkers, our colleagues. And I think we want to value people for the whole instead. So that's, that's the junkyard lesson that I learned um, or had to unlearn, perhaps. And then you asked about Jesus getting the right people on the bus. Well, look, I'm not going to second guess uh, Christ. But I do look at his 12 disciples and have to laugh. I mean, come on. I mean, you know, you've got James and John asking for a wildly inappropriate promotion and even bringing their mother to work. Uh, Matthew's a tax collector. Peter denied his CEO three times publicly. You know, Simon was an anti-government plotter. Uh, and we haven't even gotten to Judas. I mean, these guys were, wow. were, were all messed up. And yet Jesus came in and found the grace and the opportunity to redeem who they were and make them whole again. I want to make sure we leave time for this powerful story that you highlight in chapter 31. Uh, you know, tell us about the day on the mountain pass in New Mexico with you and your family. We were traveling, and I was probably about 10 years old. My older brother was in his mid-20s with his wife. My mom and dad were in the front seat, and we were going down a mountain road, come around a corner, and there is a car dangling off the edge of a cliff. It was like a Hollywood scene. And um, my dad did not hesitate. He pulled up. He jumped out of the car. Uh, my brother jumped out. I jumped out. Um, and we went over there, and it was a woman trying to commit suicide. Um, but she was at the wheel crying and um, really just, <laughs> she was uh, em emotionally a wreck, as you, uh, as you might imagine. My brother and I were doing what we could by putting rocks behind the tires so it wouldn't roll forward. But my dad actually opened the door and slowly, gently talking to her, um, stepped in uh, into the car, eventually sat next to her with his foot on the brake, he eventually got it into park, eventually turned the engine off. And it was a moment where I saw my dad live out his life motto, which is octa non verba, it's Latin for action, not words, or deeds, not words. And I love that story of him being ready to risk his own life for somebody he'd never even met. He just knew it was the right thing to do. And Jesus tied that in a lot, too. Talk, talk about the Jesus perspective that you offer in that chapter. Yeah, the... Um, <laughs> uh, Jesus constantly acted, right? I mean, we, we, have, we have the written word of Scripture. So we think of Jesus constantly talking. But in reality, Jesus was constantly acting. He was continually bringing out his love for others through the actions, whether he was healing others, whether he was pointing people to his Father, whether he was clearing a temple. He was constantly acting. And I think we lose sight of that. Um, when we just read the words of Jesus. You've been listening to I Work Room with your host, Jim and Martha Brangenberg. We're Christ followers. Our workplace is definitely our mission field, but ultimately, I, I work, work for him. him. Thank you for listening to the I Work For Him Power Pod with your hosts, Jim and Martha Brangenberg. Want more? Hear the full broadcast at iworkforhim.com. Stay connected and receive power pack content when you sign up for our blog at iworkforhim.com or follow us on social media at iworkforhim. And finally, if today's message inspired you, please subscribe, rate, and review the show on your favorite podcast platform. Your review helps launch more workplace missionaries across the nation. That's at iWorkForHim and online, iWorkForHim.com.